The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Center field. According to the Athletic, it's a dying position. The two-way center fielder is the Tyrannosaurus Rex of baseball. But you know what? We're alive and well, baby. You got Jazz Chisholm absolutely airmailing catchers during Grapefruit League play. Uh, Mike Trout plays this position. Um, I think we're going to be just fine with top 10 center fielders today. I don't know how you feel, but... You know, as we make our rankings um, as a team, right? There's five of us here, just baseball. We all come together. This well, there's is, more than five, but five. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Five three at the rankings. Exactly. This is my favorite list. I have zero problems with these rankings. Like we talked about shortstops, third base, second base, first base. I always have a point where, oh, maybe I'd rather have this guy higher or I'd have this guy lower. I'm okay with the rankings, but this is kind of my opinion. I have no debates with any of these 10 and our honorable mentions. I think it's the most accurate list we have. What's your opinion on it? I think that there are places where you could flip flop like, I don't know, I just as an example, like seven and six, right? Or or maybe an honorable mention and, and, and 10. But I don't necessarily think that anybody's going to look at this and say, wait, one of the honorable mentions could be as high as seven. Like, I think we, I that's think we did I'm a saying. pretty good job with this. Yes, and this is also a compilation of a lot of excellent ballplayers. Like these guys are some of the best bats in the game and some of the better gloves in the game. So this is an exciting list to break down. Um, You and I both just watched Andrew Painter throw against the Philadelphia or against the Minnesota twins. He threw with the Phillies. He faced Gallo, Correa, Kepler, and one more. Who did he face at the tail end? Jeffers. Yeah, Um, Jeffers flew out to right. You tell you what, spring training overreaction, my only one today. If Painter looks like this, man, like just slap him in the rotation. I've always thought, and uh, maybe you can correct me on this, Arm can correct me on this, pitchers are faster along than hitters yeah. in their, you know, maturation. Like, I feel that Andrew Painter at 19 or 20 is much more likely to get big league, get big league outs right now 
than a 19 to 20 year old minor league hitter. There are some like a wander comes up, but it seems like big league teams should push these young pitchers forward quicker, like 99 plays. He threw this 95 mile an hour cutter. It was on baseball's Avant. It was labeled as a four seamer. That shit dropped and cut. And it was 95. Like he has that. And he has this breaker too. I was way overreacting to every single pitch. Like Andrew Painter got a first inning fly out to Joey Gallo or first, um, you know, hitter fly out. And I thought to myself, all right, he's made it. Gives up a base hit to Carlos Correa. I immediately like, yeah, he could probably be a decent four starter. Like maybe he could compete with Tywin Walker. Relegated to high A after he finishes last year in double. Yeah. Then he got a strikeout again. Then I'm back to thinking he's an ace. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the way that Aram puts it, which I really like, is it almost feels like you're wasting bullets for pitchers. Good point. Where hitters, you've got to prove it at every single stop, right? Like Wander Franco, even though he was on an accelerated path, it's because he was passing each checkpoint with flying colors. Like mm. he's in low A, he hits 320. He's in high A, he hits 330. He's in double A, he hits 320. So like, Every single stop, he's doing exactly what he needs to do. Painter, you only need to see him in high A for like six starts. Uh, I'll pull up how many starts he made at each level, but he went low A, high A, double. And even then, he probably could have gotten a brief cameo in triple as well. So a guy like Andrew Painter, a guy like Yuri Perez, or even one of these really talented college arms like Dolander. Where do you start Dolander or Skeens? when they come out of college in the first round this year, they're probably both top five picks. Yeah. Do you just slap them in double? Do you put them in high A? It's an interesting conversation. I would start them in double A, especially Skeens and Dolander. I mean, especially Skeens. Like Skeens, Dolander was the preseason number one overall pitcher, and I'm pretty sure that's probably where it's going to stay. But this guy, Paul Skeens at LSU, he is 100 and he is at your neck. I mean, it's top of the zone. It's high spin. It's just such good stuff. And Dolander, too. And the only thing I'd be worried about with these guys is their stuff already plays. Like, 99 as a starter with that 95-mile-an-hour whatever that pitch is with a breaking ball. It's just, can you command the ball? So I'd be looking at Painter in the minor leagues, Grayson Rodriguez, Chase Dolander, Paul Skeens when they come, and all these pitchers. How's their command? If their command is good, like I'm starting them soon. That's what and, I And the do. answer, the answer for Painter is really good. 2.2 2 walks per nine. So here's what he did. Nine starts in low A, he had a 1.4 ERA. Eight starts <laughs> in high A, he had a 0.98 ERA. Yeah, then he goes, starts five games in double, has a 2.5, but in 28 and a third innings, 37 punch outs, two walks. There you go. What about that makes you say, yeah, I need to see him do it in double for a little bit longer. As a hitter, it's, oh, yeah, he only played 20 games in double. I'd like to see him, you know, like do this and prove that his baseline is really good double A hitter. And that wasn't just a hot stretch Um, with Painter. I look at that and I say, man, like if he's going to start anywhere that is in the big leagues, it feels like it should be triple and he should be ready to go up as soon as possible and Bailey Falter should be ready to be a bullpen arm by opening day. Andrew Painter already has the third best stuff in his rotation. It's Nola, it's Wheeler and then Painter. Yeah. I think he has better stuff than Ranger Suarez already. Obviously yes. Ranger Suarez has proven it and we can't just go up in here and say, yeah, Andrew Painter is better than Ranger Suarez, but from a stuff profile 
And if the command is there, there's no reason not to start him in the rotation opening day. I don't Correct. think so. Correct. Um, my groundbreaking thought, I texted you right before we hopped on. I said, I have a groundbreaking thought that, that we have to start with. And then we'll get into center fielders. You can keep your steakhouse, Ruth's Chris, rah-rah bullshit. Trader Joe's Spanish rice should mm. win a beard award. I do it's love Trader so Joe's. Good. I can get on board with that. I've, you know, I used to be kind of a hater of Trader Joe's. I'm not why? sure why. When I was growing up, I was just a hater. Were I don't you, know why. You were also the kid that wore shorts in 30 degree weather and like wanted to do push ups for fun, quote unquote, right? Well, there was never 30 degree weather in Santa Barbara. That's why it's the greatest place on earth. Yeah, that's right. So, but going back to your Trader Joe's point, I totally agree with you. The frozen pastas are elite. They have such a good like meat section. It's not the high grade, super, super quality like you'd find at a butcher shop, but it's I think it's better than most grocery stores and everything is relatively cheap. I'm a big fan. So I'm a Takis guy. Love Takis. One of my favorite chips. T-A-K-I-S, Taki. I thought you were talking about like how old people referred to movies like, hey, did you go to the Takis today? T-A-K-I. The, the yeah. like hot Taki. chips, the corn yeah. chips. They're my favorite. Trader Joe's has like an off-brand of Takis. Bro, they've got off-brand everything. That's the reason why I don't have a six-pack is because I eat those like like their air. It, not because we live a sedentary lifestyle as podcasters and we're sitting in like, you're sitting in a gaming chair for like eight hours a day every day. <laughs> that's, that's not another. Why. That's another one, but I feel like I'm going to blame the Takis, right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but they're not called Takis, right? Uh, Trader Joe's, all their like all their Spanish, Latin, Mexican stuff is Trader Jose's. Um, isn't isn't the Italian stuff like Trader Giuseppe's or something? It's something like that. They yeah. it's everything is their brand. I like Trader Joe's. I love Spanish Trader. rice. I've this, never. It's hmm. in the frozen food section. You literally slap it in the microwave for like four minutes or you stove top it. Um, I wasn't feeling very domestic today, so I decided to microwave it. And um, it was a game changer, an absolute game changer. I'm with it. Center field. Top 10 center fielders. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, all right. So we've got, we, we did it a teensy, teensy bit differently because we typically have one through 10 and three honorable mentions. Um, I wrote this one up. It is live at justbaseball.com as you were listening to this. I did one through 10, two honorable mentions and a to be determined. And the to be determined is jazz. 60 games slash 254, 325, 535, 14 homers, 45 driven in, 12 backs. He accumulated 2.6 F4 in 60 games. He had a 140 WRC plus. Now, to be determined because we've seen him play center field for four innings at this point, all in spring training, and he Domingo Ayala the shit out of a throw. And looked so lost like went back five steps before coming in and missing a fly ball so i i can't dock him already for being a bad defensive outfielder because i've watched him play center field for i'll count again four innings yes that's fair and i wouldn't put too much stock into it right it's spring training we overreact for fun but of course we're being completely sarcastic because you know it's fun to watch spring training it's fun to draw some stuff but at the end of the day spring training is spring training nobody's trying to win they're just trying to get work I, i'm gonna cut you off for a minute there because i i'm not overreacting to zach veen he's revolutionary yeah. okay but jazz chisholm 
what worries me is the lying. He's straight up it's lying weird. about these plays. It's very, very strange. And <clears throat> he did it when he deked. He said that he was deking like a runner, and that's why he didn't catch the ball. He said he had no chance on it anyway. He's got a lot of speed. That's why Jazz Chisholm is is such an electrifying player is because of the speed. I think he could have gotten there if he didn't take four steps back before charging in. And then he lied about it to the media. Then he absolutely airmails the catcher throwing home and then says like he was aiming for the cutoff guy and that he knew it. I really don't like this. Like, I am very confused. I don't know why he's doing it. It's totally understandable to have, you know, some growing pains. He's never played center field before. This is a second base shortstop guy who has transitioned to center field. We expect you to make mistakes. We don't expect you to react like this. I was very thrown off. I don't really know how to take it. My immediate reaction is not liking it, but I guess we'll see. It's been a very strange start to spring training for Jazz Chisholm. I would say one of the strangest starts in spring training in a while for one player. Two lies in four innings. Two errors is one thing. Two lies? Yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm sure you know the Madden curse where like, and I think yeah, it's, it's kind of debunked yeah, now because there was a Brady and Mahomes thing. I um, think it started with Peyton Hillis. Remember Peyton Hillis on I, Madden? I think it started with Eddie George. Oh, it might have, it might have started I'm not with. sure, but Hillis is like a great example of the Madden curse. Um, and Peyton Hillis, by the way, had like a health scare or something. I think he was involved in like an accident or something. I was glad to see that he was okay. Um, but, you know, it, it's been pretty hit or miss in terms of MLB The Show covers. And I'm still going to buy the shit out of MLB The Show 23. Like, I'm totally yeah. going to buy it, it regardless I mean, it of who is it on have, it. It could have Josh Donaldson in his pinstripe shorts that I'm still buying it. So that's what I'm <laughs> saying. So Josh Donaldson was on the cover in 2016. That's yes, a dud, right? <laughs> 17 was Ken Griffey Jr. Can't be a dud because he was retired. Well, Donaldson at the time was not a dud. Donaldson no, he, he wasn't a was dud a then, literal like, rocket ship. Since then, it's been like a very slow descent into whatever the hell's going on right now. I don't now. know. Judge was just on it lately. I, I Judge was on it in 18. Um, I don't have who was on it in 19. Who but gives a fuck? Can we talk about Jazz the player? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Javi Baez in 2020. That's gone to shit. Okay. Tatis yeah. in 21. That's kind of gone to shit. <laughs> yeah. And then Otani's going to overcome any curse ever. So, like, I don't know. Maybe Jazz is dealing with the whole video game cover. Like, things are going to shit thing. Yeah. This was why I had the debate with you and Aram about Bader over Jazz. It's yeah, just we're going to talk about Bader. Yeah. We will talk about Bader. And I just thought we're really trying to put this guy over 60 great games going into a new position. And he's better than an established center fielder who could win a gold glove, who has offensive upside in a contract here. Please. So quick apples to apples here. Um, and and F4 is going to be apples to oranges, but WRC plus is always apples to apples. But we're going to talk about Bader in a little bit. But Jazz played 26 fewer games than Bader this past year. Bader played 86. Jazz played 60. Jazz had 1.1 more wins above replacement. So he was 1.1 wins better than Bader. And then by yeah, WRC plus, played Bader had phenomenally. He played yes. phenomenally last year. And Bader had an 86 WRC plus. Jazz was at 139. So like much better. 
Jazz yeah. was way more valuable, but all these concerns that we've raised are an issue. Now the two true honorable mentions. Number one is Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals. Number two is Chaz McCormick with the Astros. Let's start with Carlson. 128 games, hit 236. That's really disappointing. 316 OBP, that's really disappointing. 380 slug, that's pretty disappointing. 30 doubles, great. Eight homers, where'd the power go? Five bags, where's the speed? His calling card is defense right now. Six defensive runs saved, three outs above average. Dylan Carlson is one of the better defenders in baseball in the outfield. I have no idea how he managed to accumulate a 100 WRC plus because it felt like the bat was incredibly underwhelming last year for him. Yeah, it was underwhelming by his standards. Um, And he really, really struggled against right-handed pitching last year. I mean, he's a switch hitter. Um, as a righty hitter, he hit 305 with an 846 OPS against lefties. Against righties, he hit 207 with a 633 OPS. And you're They'll... there 67% of the time. Exactly. And he had a bad second half to boot. 634 OPS post-All-Star break, 735 OPS pre-All-Star break. I mean, the calling card is the glove. That's why I like him. He's a safe player. Um, he does a little bit of everything. He's not going to hit for a crazy amount of pop. Um, but again, he's got some speed. He is fast. I was really surprised. This was a player who I thought was going to take a massive step up, um, in his second, like kind of first real season in major league baseball. And he didn't. And now I'm not exactly sure where to go. I'm still a believer. I still think the bat is solid. And I think the glove is fantastic. I kind of think this is a switch hitting Harrison Bader in that way. Maybe not quite the defender, but I think the bat has a little bit more upside. Um, I think he's got similar speed. I think this guy's going to be a mainstay for a while, but we're just left with an unknown because we don't have that much data to go over and the bad second half offensively. Here's the thing, man. And the two full seasons that we have 2021, 10 more homers than he hit in 2022. Batting average, 30 points higher in 21. OBP, 30 points higher in 21. Slug, 60 points higher in 21. So where did the offense go? And I'm hoping that that was just a sophomore slump and he comes back in year three and he's great because if Dylan Carlson is great for the St. Louis Cardinals, I mean, put them in the World Series front runner conversation, right? Obviously, they need to address pitching and we've talked about that ad nauseum, but that is really one of the few holes that they have in that lineup. And if Carlson puts up an offensive season like he did his rookie year, where he finished third in NL Rookie of the Year voting, that's not a hole anymore. Because I was looking into Dylan Carlson, too, and you know, I genuinely think it was the second-year wall, which happens to a lot of young guys, it's, right? You have a, a good sophomore year. sophomore slump. Everybody knows the term sophomore slump. And I think he's going to have a good year in his third year because it's not like, for example, Dylan Carlson was massively struggling against off speed or massively struggling against one pitch, but was killing fastballs. He saw 54 to 55% fastballs in both years. The off speed, the breaking balls, they didn't really change all that much. I assume there was location changes and people found holes in his swing, which I assume he's now working on. I do think his third year could be his best year in Major League Baseball. Like, I think Dylan Carlson, of these two honorable mentions, is the guy to jump into the top 10, even over a guy like Jazz, because his glove is so safe. Jazz, of course, has the potential, but it's just 
after this little stint, I am a little bit more worried. And the matter of the fact is he's only played 60 really good games in his career. So I, I'm a big Dylan Carlson guy. I don't think it's blasphemous to say that if Carlson can put together the best offensive season of his career to this point and replicate what he did defensively this past year, he can jump to six on this list. Yeah, like if he's a 110 WRC plus guy with gold glove caliber level I defense as a switch hitter. sixth on this list or yeah, fifth that's, maybe. That's a very good player. It's a very, very good player. Yes. Uh, only other honorable mention is Chaz McCormick with the Houston Astros. And Chaz has not only become a World Series folk hero and like you had the, the chalk print on, on the warning track of his game-saving catch in the World Series last year in Philly, but Chaz had a really good year last year. 120 games. Slash 245, 332, 407. Had 14 bombs, 44 driven in. He was a um, two-win player, 114 WRC+. Plus, uh, and he was a pretty solid defensive outfielder. No defensive red saved, five outs above average. Um, I, I think Chaz is exactly what the Astros need in center. Uh, obviously, they would like some more offensive production and some more offensive talent, but they don't need it like Chaz is the best eight hitter in the game it feels like yeah Chaz is really good my only problem with Chaz is that he spells it C-H-A-S instead of C-H-A-Z yeah that's my only issue with him and those metrics like five outs above average zero defensive runs saved it's one of those things where I think to myself "Ah, they aren't giving him the credit that I think they're weird I think he's a better fielder than that I want to be able to compute a metric on my own you know what Defensive I mean? Defensive metrics are so hard. I think they're the toughest that we have. Like it's it's so hard to correctly quantify a defender by DRS buyouts of average. It's the best we have, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's perfect. We have much better stats for pitching, much better stats for hitting. Defense is the one area of baseball that metrically it hasn't quite caught up yet. Yeah. Um, but Getting back to Chaz a little bit, you're right. He is a postseason performer, which I love. 14 home runs last year with a 739 OPS. My only issue with Chaz is he strikes out a lot. But with that said, 32% last year, 26% this year. So he knew that and he walked more. So he's just getting better. He's just 27 years old. He's one of the more underrated players in baseball right now because he's on the Astros. Nobody cares. You know, a lot of people don't like the Astros anyway. He hits eighth. He's not really noticed that much, but he just puts in consistent production. He's kind of like their Maldonado in center, but he's a better hitter. Yes, he is a way better hitter than Maldonado. Maldonado's like a 70 WRC plus, and Jazz is like an above average major league hitter. Um, There are three perfect stats, one hitting, one pitching, one fielding. Hitting, RBIs. (laughs) Pitching, wins. Great. And fielding, eye test. I couldn't agree with you more. Win the game, drive in runs, and look good on the field. And look sick. Like, that's the only way. Miss me with the WRC plus and FIP and, and defensive run save and all that. Give me RBIs, <laughs> pitcher wins, and I test defensively, and I'm a happy man. We should just, like, imagine if we just ranked, like, Kyle Wright number one, Pete Alonzo number two. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the yeah. Top 100 list. <laughs> Well, and then who who would pass the eye test with flying colors? I guess Baez. Like, Baez kind of does. 
I always thought like Tatis on defense for me always passed the eye test, but the yes. metrics just sucked. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. But man, those sunglasses are sick. That's a pretty sick <laughs> top three in the top 100. Kyle Wright, one, Pete Alonso, two, Fernando Tatis, three. It's not that far off. Oh, by the way, did you see the comment? And then we'll get to the top 10. Did you see uh, the comment? I posted the Otani cleats, which we talked about on Tuesday. Yes. Um, did you see the comment and said, uh, I said, I think these are awesome. They're pretty much like the dad shoe. I've got mine here. So they look like this. Those are better like than Otani's cleats. And they're cleats. Um, and I said, I think these are awesome. Peter doesn't. Uh, what do you think? And somebody commented and said, uh, is this the same Peter that owns pit vipers? And I said, excellent point. So never trust Peter Apple for fashion advice. What do you mean? Tenth <laughs> best center fielder in the game, Harrison Bader with the New York Yankees. Bader played 86 games and he was a below average hitter. His thing, though, is he in, he is an elite defensive center fielder. 86 games slash 250, 294, 356, five homers, 30 driven in, 17 bags. He had one and a half wins above replacement. He had an 86 WRC plus. Negative one defensive run save. Don't know what that means. Seven outs above average is indicative of Harrison Bader, the defender. He is a sure thing in center field. The bat has always been a little underwhelming. He has shown flashes in the pan of maybe being a slightly above average hitter. He was below average last year. He's probably below average moving forward. But a gold glove candidate perennially is uh, something that I think the Yankees are very happy to have. See, I could not disagree with you more. Um, when you're talking about he's a below-average bat, he's always kind of been a below-average bat. In 2020, I know it's a shortened COVID season, put up a 779 OPS in 50 games. 2021, which was last season before he was obviously banged up, coming over the Yankees, switching, and then had the great postseason run where he looked unbelievable. In 2021, he played 103 games, had a 784 OPS with 16 bombs. Like, the past two seasons leading up to 2022 where he was injured, he was an above average hitter with the great defense. And then once he finally got healthy, he went crazy in the postseason and now he's in for a contract year. I don't understand the Harrison Bader kind of hate. I really don't. And it's not even a Yankee thing because I, of course my Yankee bias comes in, but there's some guys I make fun of all the time. And you know that. Bader is a guy that a lot of people at just baseball are just relatively down on. And I just don't understand it. I really don't. I don't think it's down on like he's got a 97 OPS plus in his career. Is that not slightly below average? Yes. I mean, that's slightly below average. I wonder what center field the average OPS plus is. He's probably I mean, his entire probably career. Average like, what's Jazz's up. what's Jazz's WRC plus in his entire career? Jazz Chisholm. So I'm going by OPS plus right now. Bader was 97. Jazz is 104. Okay. So they're pretty similar hitters throughout their entire career with Jazz has a smaller sample size. And we know that Bader is the far better defender. See, here's the thing, though. 86 WRC plus. Yes, he did have a bad year. WRC yes, plus. in 60 games versus 82 games where both were injured and Jazz was at least healthy and then got injured, had a great 60-game sample. Bader had his worst year 
in three years. And it's like, we're just deciding now. Uh, and the defense is such a huge gap too. I don't understand it. We're not saying he sucks. And, and we've had this conversation. I think this is the third time that we've had this conversation on the pod. The other one was uh, Peter Apple's top 100 players. Um, yeah. I mean, like we, we sided with you. It's to be determined with jazz and, and 10 with Bader. Um, I'm just not moving from the fact that I think Bader is a slightly below average bat. Um, I understand what he did in 2020 and I understand what he did in 2021. I am getting into a habit of negating 2020 entirely, which I don't know how I feel about because there are guys that had tremendous 2020s that turn that into excellent 2021s. Like Shane Bieber, 2020 was Bieber's breakout. Abreu won an MVP in 2020, but like Trevor Bauer won a Cy Young in 2020. Like it's, it was such a weird year. I have no idea how to work with it. Um, so, but then 20, maybe that's my downfall, right? Like I, instead of, yes, instead of saying two years for Bader, I'm saying one. Okay. I disagree, but that's fine. But then you could say 2021, 784 OPS, 103 games, 16 home runs, nine steals, great defense. And then 2020, he did show that he can do it consistently. And then last year, he got hurt, moved teams, took a little while to adjust, then went crazy when the lights turned on, and now is in a contract year. Like, if you think he's a below average bat, let's make a bet. Hundred no, WRC I'm not plus. Gonna, no, you you have enough standing bets with enough people in just baseball. I'm not making another bet, but um, what I will say is, if Bader comes out and has a 115 WRC plus, I will be genuinely surprised, and I will shake your hand at the end of this. There we go. That's all I need. Okay, but expect but, it. All right, number nine, Corbin Carroll with the Arizona Diamondbacks, just baseball's number one overall prospect. Uh, last year at the minor league level, slashed 307, 425, 611. Had 24 homers, 31 stolen bases, played 32 games with the D-backs at the major league level, hit 260 with an OPS at 830. Um, nine doubles, four homers, 14 driven in. He accumulated 1.4 F4 and had a 130 WRC plus in 32 games. You can't poke a hole in his game. Nope. Can't poke a hole. Great defender electric speed some of the fastest in baseball registered the in the 100th percentile of sprint speed last year only stole two bases but he's going to steal a lot more he runs the greatest triple i've ever seen i think like his when he hits a triple and runs from first to second to third it's so not only is he fast but he runs routes incredibly well around the bases like he cuts the corners fan just in an electric way Corbin Carroll is going to be the next great young player in Major League Baseball. I think he's going to take the league by storm this year. I love him for Rookie of the Year. We're going to talk about all those in future episodes. Corbin Carroll, I think by the end of this year, he's going to be in the Michael Harris territory. That good. So when you look at Rookie of the Year voting in the National League, Carroll is plus 380 right now. Uh, Gunnar Henderson is plus 225 in the American League. Yeah, it's just because Corbin has tougher competition <clears throat> in the National League. Yeah, he's got Walker and Tovar and Kodai Senga and Miguel Vargas. But Carroll, like, it feels like even if he has a, a Bobby Witt-type underwhelming year, he can still win it because I think his floor is probably higher than Bobby Witt. 
Yeah, I would take Carroll over Gunner. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Carroll is going to be the most valuable rookie in terms of war by a pretty wide margin this year. Yeah, like we said it ourselves. We did a war bet, F war bet. Brandon Nimmo versus Corbin Carroll, and we all picked Corbin Carroll. That's how much we believe in this guy. Because he's there a are great some rookies. There are some rookies on these lists where you might think, guys, you can't put him this high yet. And we, you know, we, we disagree. But we're not like, you know, some people, if they thought what we think about Corbin Carroll, they'd put him four. We're not putting him four yet. But putting him on this list just goes to show how much we think of this young player because to Jack's point, the defense is going to be electric. The speed is going to be top of the line. He's a guy who can hit the ball 470 feet. He's done that before with his five foot 10, 180 pound frame. He's got incredible bat to ball. And especially with the banning of the shift, there's going to be so many infield hits for this guy because he just burns out of the box. He is going to be an, a very, very good player. And I think almost right away, and it proved it, he could do it right away, recording an 830 OPS in his first season with just a cup of coffee in the bigs. I'm telling you, that there's no there's no part of his game that's below average. Nope. Not a single part. Nope. Number eight, Luis Number Robert eight. with the Chicago White Sox. 98 games again. It was a frustrating conversation for me. 284, 426 slug, 18 doubles, 12 homers, 56 RBIs, 11 stolen bases. Uh, he was a 2.1 win guy with a 111 WRC plus, and he was a pretty solid defender in center this past year. Luis Robert is a gold glove caliber center fielder. If he plays 150 games in a given season at full health, I think he's an MVP candidate. I think he's Buxton level good, but he's made of glass. So there's our big problem. Yeah, I don't think he's Buxton level good, um, but I think he's close um, because Buxton just does things that you've never seen. While Luis Robert is just a really, really great all around player. Um, I think Buxton has a little bit more power. I think Buxton's a slightly better defender. Um, and I think Buxton's got a little bit more quickness than Luis Robert. Can I but just tell like, you that Luis Robert has hit a ball 118 miles an hour twice? So at, in 2021 and 22, he hit a ball 118. Yeah. I mean, he is, he's amazing. Like, I agree with you. I put him on my top 100, even though he hasn't put up top 100 numbers because he's been so banged up. But this is another one of those players where you see the talent, and the talent in itself is top five. But the fact that he just can't stay on the field consistently pushes him out of the top five. But we know the talent. We see it. And I want to go to you because this is your guy as a White Sox guy. Like, you watch White Sox games every day. Like, what does Luis Robert do that amazes you that you think he is Buxton level? Everything. I, I think I see him, like, absolutely obliterate a baseball. I see him hit a ball 117 miles an hour that goes 480 feet. And then I, I see him make this insane diving catch after sprinting at 20 plus miles an hour, a hundred plus feet. So this guy is one of the freakiest athletes in the game. I think he is as freaky an athlete as Buxton. The stolen base has been phased out of Buxton's game. It has not been phased out of Robert's game. I think Luis Robert has as much raw power as Byron Buxton does. And I think that Buxton is only a marginally better defensive center fielder than Luis Robert is. Robert won a gold glove in 2020. So I, I think that this guy is like one of the freakiest 
God-given ability athletes that we've got in Major League Baseball, but he's got flaws. Flaw number one is staying on the field. He played 56 games out of 60 in 2020, but then he played 68 games in 2021 and 98 in 2022. He doesn't stay on the field. He also swings at fucking everything, which is hilarious. Um, I enjoy it when he makes contact with pitches that he shouldn't make contact with and like loops them into shallow left for a base hit. But it's also not fun when you pull up the bubbles and you see that he's in the first percentile in chase rate. So that's Javi Baez level frustration when it yeah. when it turns into chase rate. So um, I like having two free swingers in Tim Anderson and Luis Robert at the top of the lineup. Um, but free swinging can bite you in the ass. And when you don't get on base the way that I hope you do, and when you don't play as many games as I hope you do, I think that's where the frustration sets in for White Sox fans about Luis Robert. Yeah, here's my thing about Buxton. You said Luis Robert played 98 games last year? 92? 98? 98. Um, Buxton also um, played, I think he had less at-bats than um, than Luis Robert did. So Luis Robert Buxton played, played 92 games. And he hit 28 home runs and Luis Robert hit 12. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's Buxton. He put up four war in ninety eight game or ninety two games, right? Um, but I, <laughs> but I agree from a tool be perspective because Robert, Robert tool perspective, hit thirteen in sixty eight games in twenty one. Yeah, but not twenty eight in ninety two right. games, right? Yeah, that's where there's a little bit of a separator. And marginally, I agree, but it's still the edge for Buxton defensively. And in terms of just raw power, in terms of max exit velo. I agree when Luis Robert connects with the ball, like Byron Bucks and Max Exavilo is around 115. Robert's 118. Like that is like Stanton judge level territory. Correct. But raw power and game power is different. Like Buxton is hitting 28 home runs in 92 games versus Luis Robert at 12 in 98 games. So we can marvel at the tools and you're right. The tools are close, but they both get injured and Buxton even produces more than he does. And that's why he's higher on our list. And we'll get to him in a second. Yeah. But listen, if Buxton's an a hundred million dollar guy, Robert's probably a, an $80 million guy considering Agreed. like it, it. it's those two are the saddest story in baseball because they're both $300 right million dollar guys and it's not close, but they could be, it's just stay healthy. If they're on it's, the field, they're yeah. $350 million talents. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I guess. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not. That's not out of the realm. I agree. They're it's that Julio good. with more service time. Literally, I think so. Especially Buxton and Robert. Yeah. Robert too. Number seven is Cedric Mullins with the Baltimore Orioles. Mullins did play a full season. He was a three and a half win guy with a one hundred six WRC plus, sixteen homers, thirty four stolen bases. We are a year removed from a thirty thirty season from Cedric Mullins. He's also an excellent defensive center fielder, which I think is very slept on. Mullins has turned himself from um, a nice surprise for the front half of 2021 into a guy that factors into the future plans for the Baltimore Orioles, who have one of the brightest futures in all of Major League Baseball. He's done that in the span of a season and a half, proving that while he may not be a 30-30 guy, the talent is undeniable. And the production, for the most part, is here to stay. This feels like the new floor for Mullins. Three, three and a half wins. 
I agree. And he had a better second half. So there's at least something to hang on to and say, well, he made his adjustments after having a little bit of a tough first half. But the guy just couldn't hit left-handers last year. 578 OPS against lefties, 781 OPS against righties. But I agree with you. 16 home runs, 34 stolen bases, 721 OPS, and great defense. Like, I agree with you. This is more of the floor. I think what we should expect going forward is 15 to 20 home runs and 30 to 35 steals with great defense. That's a fantastic player and a player I'd love to have on my team. Will he be 30-30 again? No. Probably not. I don't. I think that might be his highest power output of his career. Yeah. But the fact that he has that in the tank, there's always something to dream on there. And then every other tool he has is safe. So if he hits for the power, he vaults up this list. If he doesn't, he's still a very good player. That's why I love his profile. So when you you look two years down the road at, at the Baltimore Orioles, like what that outfield probably looks like, Going into this year, it's Austin Hayes in left, Cedric Mullins in center, Anthony Santander in right, with Ryan McKenna as the fourth outfielder. Other guys that are waiting in the wings right now. Kyle Stowers, Colton Kowser, um, who else? Heston Kierstad is coming down the line. Um, there are a lot of options for them, and I think the only one that is like, no shot you're moving is Mullins. I, I think that they're willing to move off of Hayes, especially after what happened to him uh, back half of last year. Um, and then everybody else, like I, I think Kowser has a spot there. Um, I think Stowers is going to be good. But man, I mean, a, a Mullins, Kowser, Kerstad future outfield sounds really entertaining. The only way I think the Orioles move him is if they're floored by a return of tons of pitching because to your point they have all these outfielders ready to go so they have someone to slot in kind of behind them like I almost think of the twins trading Luisa Rise they had so many infielders and they needed pitching and they right. just got an offer with Pablo Lopez and some for him that's the only reason Mullins gets moved he's been so in trade rumors but they they'd have to receive an offer where they get an elite pitching prospect or a fantastic pitcher right now and then some for Mullins because center field is one of the most important positions and he's one of the best in the game. That's the thing. Marlins fans really wanted Cedric Mullins to be a trade option for them along with Brian Reynolds. And, and I don't think that Marlins fans really understood. And I don't think we understood how possibly untouchable Mullins was. I, I think that the Orioles are pretty hell bent on having Cedric Mullins in their future plans um, more so than the Pirates are with with Brian Reynolds, as you can clearly see with the contract thing. It's hard to find center fielders like this. Yes. I mean, it's it's a weaker hitting position than some of the elite ones. And you need a good glove. Cedric has that and has one of the better gloves in the American League. And then he's an above average hitter who makes up for like OPS stuff with stolen bases and hitting home runs. Like he is a very good player. Um, yeah. And I think you're right. I think the floor was last year. Maybe not the bottom floor, like he could have a worse season. Yeah. But I think what happened this season, we should expect a slight jump. And yeah, a slight I, jump I think you pencil great. in 2022 for Cedric Mullins. 20 home runs. Oh, you're talking about penciling in last year. I think year. you pencil in what he did. Hit 260 with 16 homers and 34 bags. That's great. It's like Tommy Edmond kind of in center. 
Yes, 100%. You're penciling in a sure thing that isn't going to elevate your heart rate. Um, the Brian Reynolds experience in Pittsburgh, I think, is elevating everybody's heart rate. Uh, mm-hmm. Every Yinzer out there. Brian Reynolds is the sixth best center fielder in baseball going into 2023. Is he going to be a center fielder at the end of 2023? The answer right now is probably not because he was putrid defensively. But guess what you can do to circumvent defensive struggles? Hit the shit out of the ball. And he did that. 145 games slash 262, 345, 461. 27 homers, 62 driven in, seven bags. He was a three-win player, even with negative 14 defensive runs saved, negative seven outs above average, a 125 WRC plus guy. This is a pure hitter, a switch hitter, and a team that is willing to pay him more than $130 million over eight years uh, is going to be very lucky to have him. Yeah, he's not that far off from Nimmo. Let's be honest. He might be a better hitter than Nimmo. Um, He Uh... is a pure hitter. Yeah, from a the pure breaks. hitter standpoint from a pure hitter standpoint it helps that he hits from both sides i i would say that that kind of helps his narrative but i would more say i i feel more comfortable with nimmo in my lineup than than reynolds i think i think nimmo is a better player because he's great defensively and the and the like the hitting metrics they're not that far off I would just say that Reynolds is a better hitter, but I'd prefer Nimmo because the hitting isn't that far off, but the fielding is. Yeah. That's why I'd go with Nimmo. But Reynolds, from a hitting standpoint, has plenty of power and he has plenty of bat to ball. Is he the 806 OPS guy he was last year? I think he's better. Is he the 900 OPS guy that he was a year ago? No, I think he's worse. I think he's an 850 OPS guy who can hit 25 to 30 home runs and hit. What is it? What did he hit last year? 260? I think, I think he's better than that. I think he was he's a 300 probably, hitter in 2021. I think he's a 270, 275 hitter with 25 to 30 home runs. It's a very good player. So Reynolds in 2019, his rookie year, hit 314 with an 880 OPS. Reynolds in 21 hit 302 with a 912 OPS. And then this past year, 262 with an 807 OPS. So the question is, is he a 300 hitter? Or mm-hmm. is he more pop, less batting average? I think that. I think the latter. Very good player. And yeah. I hope he gets traded to a contender because then he'll put his name up on in the lights and people will know who he is and he'll be very valuable for a team. Um, but again, I wouldn't mind if the Pirates build around him. They have a very young team, um, really a lot of exciting players, and they can build around Brian Reynolds. So I understand that the Pirates want to extend him. Of course, the offers aren't even close, and I side more with Brian Reynolds' camp. I believe he deserves that kind of money. We just saw Manny Machado make $350 million at age 30. Reynolds is three years younger. I'm not saying they're the same player, but $130 million for him? Yeah, sign me up. I would take that, even if he moves to a corner, because I think the bat is that sound. So few college baseball teams were as enjoyable a watch as the 2014 Vanderbilt Commodores. Yeah, he was the freshman Brian Reynolds rocking a pencil stash, which was all the rage from the 19 year old. Um, Dansby Swanson was going to go number one overall that, you know, that year they had Jason DeLay as the catcher. Roe Coleman was on that team. Xander Wheel, Rhett Wiseman. And then that rotation, Tyler Beatty, Walker Bueller, Carson Fulmer unmatched. 
So yeah, that that was my first glimpse of Brian Reynolds. I was like, wow, this kid is crazy. And then all of a sudden, this dude is still crazy. Agreed. I thought he was the best hitter on that team. Over Dansby? Yeah. Yeah. Dansby was 1-1, man. Crazy, yeah. man. All right. Uh, top five now. Byron Buxton is the fifth best center fielder in the game. I mean, he frustrates me. Yeah. He frustrates me so much, and I'm sure that he frustrates you a lot because uh, he is – I mean, four wins in 92 games, four war in 92 games, a 136 WRC plus 28 homers in 92 games. And he was eight defensive runs saved, eight outs above average. He's a platinum glove level defender. And he was on a 45 to 50 homer pace if he played a 162. He's the most frustrating player in Major League Baseball. And that's a compliment. It's not the other. The other most frustrating player is Fernando Tatis Jr. Correct. And that's almost a compliment to them because of the talent. It's an indictment on Tatis. It's an indictment on Tatis. It is, um, it's a compliment for Buxton. Sort of. Yeah, I, I see where you're going. Yeah, with that. Buxton's health, Tatis's character issues. Buxton is, <laughs> he's like when you try and build a player in MLB The Show and you shoot up the tools all to 80, like it's on a 20 to 80 everything except contact. Contact's like a 50. Yeah, contact's a 50. But the power this guy has, 28 home runs in 92 games. I mean, that's Trout-level power, but he's much better defender than Mike Trout is in center. I would venture to say he's maybe the best defender in center field that we have in our sport. I think he's that good of a defender. He has a bazooka for an arm. He ha- He runs like a gazelle. He's like Bo Jackson if he started playing in Major League Baseball today. It's like that kind of talent where the ball sounds different off his bat, where he runs like a freaking supervillain, like the Green Goblin, like riding on his freaking, what is that? What does he ride on that? uh, I don't know. I wasn't a Batman guy, but I just want to see how you finish this. That's Spider-Man. Pick a word. He glides. It's his glider. Green Goblin's glider. That's how he runs. He runs like he's not walking on the ground. Like he looks like he takes one big jump and just shoots out of a cannon at every ball in center field. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got everything except he's made of glass. He's made of glass because he can't stay on the field. Eddie's the most frustrating player in Major League Baseball because I can't figure him out. I want to bet him on MVP every year. No, I we can figure him. We can figure him out. Like it's literally placing a bet on health. It's the Degrom thing, right? Glass it's now. it's Glass now. It's like he's the yeah. offensive version of Glass now. It's like when Glass now pitches the extension from a six eight guy throwing ninety seven with the breaking ball. It looks literally impossible to hit. When Byron Buxton plays, it looks impossible for anyone to be more talented than he is. But they don't stay on the field. And that's why they're lower on ranks. But like even at five, I think a lot of people are going to think to themselves, isn't this even too high for him? And it's like, man, if he was healthy for 162, he'd be number two. He'd be number two Yeah, to Trout. Spoiler alert, Trout's number one. Duh. How about uh, this from Danny Vietti at CBS yesterday? And Danny is, is a great Twitter follow. Uh, since Tyler Glasnow's debut in 2016, Bartolo Colon, 85 starts, has not thrown since 2018. Tyler Glasnow, 67 starts. That sucks. 
But it, it, it is. I, I think that Buxton is actually closer to the DeGrom conversation in recent years than the Glasnow conversation. Because while Glasnow is a top 10 arm in the game when he's healthy, DeGrom is like top one or top two. When Buxton's on the field, he's top one or top two, it feels like. Yeah, I don't think that's that far off. Um, I guess the only reason I said Glasnow is because I think when Glasnow's on the mound, he's top five. Like, I think he's that level of a talent from a pitching side. Um, and maybe Such I'm just higher on him than some. It yeah. is a sad conversation because the reason I think they're comparable is neither have put together really a fully healthy season. Like, the last time Buxton did, he played 140 games in 2017. Like, he was still a really young player. Like, still hadn't developed into the Byron Buxton that put up a 1,000 OPS in 2021. Like in, in 2021, he played 61 games, hit 19 jacks, stole nine bases, and hit 306 with a thousand OPS. Like, what the fuck, dude? That I know. is so good. I know. And that's why it's so frustrating. And then he hit 28 home runs last year. It's just like if he plays 162, what his numbers look like just by projections from what he's been doing. This is not what we think he's going to do because we all agree. We think he's going to struggle with injuries again. But over 162, he's a 40 to 45 home run guy with 20 stolen bases who hits 270 and plays the best defense in center field. I mean, that's what do you want me to say? That's one of the best players in baseball. Correct. But he's not on the field for the 10th exactly. time. <laughs> yep. um, all right. Number four, Brandon Nimmo with the Mets. Mm-hmm. Nimmo has played two full seasons. He has played over 95 games twice in his major league career. 2018 and 22. And guess what? He was a five and a half win player in both of those seasons. Brandon Nimmo just signed a massive extension with the Mets. Deservedly so. 151 games slash 274, 367, 433. 30 doubles, 16 homers, 64 driven in, 134 WRC+. plus. He walks 11% of the time. He only punches out 17% of the time. And he's a good defensive center fielder. Nimmo is a health conversation too. And I don't need to get into the what if with him because what Nimmo has done in recent years that Buxton hasn't is proven that he can survive 162. And when we see 162, it ain't Buxton, but we've seen it. Yeah, 151 games last year. Nimmo's a career 826 OPS guy. Like a 385. That's one of the most most slept on things about Nimmo is like, he was 880 in 2018. He's like 880 again in 2022. He's a career 830 guy. Yeah, he's he's got some of the best plate discipline at the position. Outside of Trout, maybe the best. Love the way he runs to first base after a walk. Fires me up. Love it. Watching a Do Mets you? game, top of the first, bottom first. He's yeah, the first hitter up. That. Gets a walk, sprints to first, starts the game off with such a bang. Like, I love that, building that momentum early as a leadoff hitter. I love it. See, I love just, it. That doesn't scream fun at parties to me. Nah, I love that. That okay. That's that's gritty, good baseball. Like, that's what you learn in Little League when, the guy, when you know, your coach says, run to first base. You never know what's going to happen with a catcher. Maybe you can steal second. I love that Brandon Nimmo at age 29 years old to all those young Mets fans who look at him and say, yeah, sprint to first base, and he's just on, and he's pesky. And then you got Lindor and Pete Alonso when he scores a bunch of runs. Like Nimmo 
even though last year he played, you know, he had 580 at bats, but 102 runs. Like I know it's obviously runs. It's like, you know, based on the rest oh, of your lineup, but he's just always on RBIs. Base. It's run scored. Yeah. He's that's, always yeah. making an impact. Like in every faction of the game, he's making the big catch in center field. He's hitting the home run when you need it, even though he's only had 16 home runs last year, but he's just got power when you need it. He makes an impact on the base pass. He's got good bat to ball. He takes his walks. He's patient. He's just a good, gritty baseball player. I really like him. Do you also like that he's from Wyoming? Again, no. I don't think Brandon Nimmo's fun at parties, but he's a really good player, so I'm I'm all about him. Are you fun at parties? Oh, I'm so fun at parties. Do you run to first base at parties? Every day. Every no. party. You party every day? No. I actually so don't party anymore at all. I just talk crazy. baseball. God, you're wild. Um, yeah, man. I mean, you, you pretty much said all I have to say about Nemo. Uh, I, I think that the Mets, I don't think they were scanning for like what could be greener pastures because like Alex Ramirez is probably a corner guy for them. Vientos might be a corner guy. Beatty might be a corner guy. Nobody is a true center fielder in that organization. Um, so I don't even Absolutely. think they were looking internally. I think maybe they were looking at externally what could hit the open market in the next year or two. And they realize that they've got a top five center fielder in baseball and, and they should do everything in their power to retain him. And and Steve Cohen, that's the beauty of having an owner that cares and watches the games. Uh, he understands that Nimmo is pretty close to irreplaceable on that roster. I think, and I'm inferring this, I wonder if you asked Mets fans too, was bringing back Nimmo more important than bringing back DeGrom? And I think it was. Yeah. Like they just got Verlander, but well, you couldn't hindsight's twenty twenty. You replaced Degrom with Verlander. That's fucking crazy. But then, like, who do you replace Nimmo with? You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. You would have had to put Starling Marte in center, and the reason you moved him off center was because he wasn't good defensively out there anymore. Then you have less center field defense. Then Marte, who was great in a quarter, you lose that too. So there, you lose a lot by losing Nimmo. Losing Degrom, obviously, you're losing the best pitcher in baseball by a pitch by pitch basis, but you can replace him with aces that were on the market like Verlander or Rodon. So even without hindsight, I think Nimmo was the most important player for them to bring back, and it shows. Like when he's healthy, he's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, I've got Adam Adovino on line one. He says, "Fuck you." Yeah. Edwin Diaz maybe was more important than Nimmo, but I don't know. Uh, all right, number three. Michael Harris with the Atlanta Braves. Michael Harris, rookie year, 21 years old, 4.8 war, 136 WRC plus, hit 297, 27 doubles, 19 homers, 20 stolen bases, a gold glove caliber center fielder, the NL rookie of the year. This guy does everything. And, and I don't think people really understand, like, in in if you view in the macro, how good this guy can be for so long. He just opened a 15-year window of being an elite center fielder at 21 years old. At 21 years old, that's the point. Because a lot of people are pointing to specific things in Michael Harris's game that they're worried about, right? Oh, he doesn't walk. Walk, walk rate less than 5%, but not even that. That's obviously a big issue. Dude sucked against lefties. Sucked. In in terms of the splits, 943 OPS against righties, 650 OPS against lefties. Okay. But he doesn't face lefties all that often. Right. So, like, 
that's but the reason I'm pointing those out is if he improves on these areas, he becomes one of the best players in Major League Baseball because he has one of the best gloves out there. He has the power. He has the speed. There's just a few things in his game that he has to adjust at 21 years old. And here's what I'll say. He sucked in both of those aspects, not drawing walks and against lefties. And he still had a 136 WRC plus and yeah. was still a five war guy. So even That's if that never changes, it's not a hurdle that he can't overcome because he's already overcome it. Like he can suppress those problems and still be great. But if he attacks those problems and improves on those problems, he can be a superstar and an MVP candidate. That's why we at Just Baseball absolutely love him because if he never improves on these things, and even if he's a 130 WRC plus guy, let's say this was the peak. It won't be, but let's just say it is. He's still like a top a 130... five center fielder in the game. Exactly. Like if he gets worse, he's still top five. That's yeah. how good the glove is combined with the bat. There's yeah. nothing not to love about this young kid. I think like, but at the same time, Corbin Carroll versus Michael Harris is an interesting discussion because I think Corbin Carroll does have more potential than a guy like Michael Harris. I really do. But you hope Corbin Carroll does what Michael Harris did this year. You hope it would be an amazing season. And Michael Harris is already doing it at the same age, even younger. Nothing not to like about Michael Harris. Depends how much you like walks. I don't like, I like walks, walks, so I'm team Michael Harris. I like walks when a guy does it when I don't watch it. When you don't watch it. Yeah, exactly. you like it when you look at fan graphs. You like yeah. walks when you look at fan graphs. I like yeah. walks when I'm stat reading, not when I'm watching. Yeah, see, when I'm watching ball, like the last thing I want to see is Fernando Tatis walk. Get on base. <laughs> All right. Number two, Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners. Freak. Julio, listen, if there's like a young center fielder that you should take over Michael Harris or Corbin Carroll, it's the J-Rod show. 132 games in his rookie season. He was the AL Rookie of the Year. Five and a half win player. A 146 WRC plus. 25 doubles. 28 homers. 75 driven in. 25 bags. Nobody was expecting 25 bags from him. They could have expected 28 homers, but I don't think anybody was expecting three defensive runs saved and six outs above average in center field. He learned center field in spring training of last year, and that was how he was going to crack the opening day lineup. He cracked it over Kelnick, and he turned into an elite defensive center fielder that's a threat to go 30-30 every year. There is, um, there's something that they do in the NBA where they have like a, a GM survey and they GM, you know, or they, they survey all these guys. And one of the most common questions that, you know, goes out to, to the media after the fact is who are you starting a franchise with today? And the answer, like, even though you think it should be LeBron at the peak of LeBron's powers, it, it's always like the best young guy in the game. Like Carl Anthony Towns was getting votes and, and Giannis keeps on getting votes. And now it's probably going to be Luca that gets all the votes. Julio Rodriguez is probably one of the leading vote getters. If you surveyed MLB GMs, start from scratch. Here's your organization. Who's your first overall pick in a fantasy draft? I have a question you for you. Yeah. I have a question for you. How much different is he than Ronald Acuna Jr.? Uh, not very different at all. I think he's just taller. That's it. So 
Ronald Cunha Jr. is known for tools, arm strength off the charts. J-Rod was in the 96th percentile in arm, arm strength. What about fielding? Cunha is a fantastic defender in right field. J-Rod was 95th percentile and outs above average in center. Ronald Cunha Jr. hits the living piss out of the ball consistently in the 110 to 115 max exit velo range. Julio hit a ball 117 miles an hour last year. Ron Acuna Jr. is known for hitting the ball hard consistently. J-Rod was in the 95th percentile in a hard hit rate. He barrels everything. He's developed into a great center fielder with a bazooka arm. He impacts the base pass like Acuna does. He is going to be fighting for MVPs for the next decade. Yeah. That's how good Julio Rodriguez is. I cannot wait. I think in two years, we're going to see an all-time MVP battle between Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman. And I cannot wait for that. Can I can I say something weird? Sure. I think I think the Derby, like how he performed in the Derby, helped me understand how good this guy could be. I agree. No, I agree. I was there. And I was freaking out. Like it, freaking out. Here's the thing, man. You can be so good on a random Tuesday in July. You can be so good over 162. Um, how do you turn it on? You see that in the postseason. You see it whenever you get like a national audience. And and aside from the postseason, it's really only the All Star game that you do that. And the All Star game really like who gives a shit now that it's not incentivized. But the Derby is like the best special event in sports. Arm and I were just talking about that on the heels of the slam dunk contest. And, and Julio showing up and like. Putting on that show in the home run derby, something that is so meaningless for him, but doing that and captivating an audience, if he's doing that with one skill, just raw power, right? That That's the only skill needed in the home run derby. This dude has four more skills that he can show you on any given night. So the fact that raw power captivates a national audience just wait till you see the run and wait till you see the the field and wait till you see the hit, like everything about him. Yeah, he's like Tatis in the outfield. If you Pretty play much. great center. Pretty like, much. He doesn't have quite the power that Tatis does. I don't think, or at least game power. No. But, I mean, it, it's... I put him at 21 on my top 100 players, and I said, I was like, this is as high as possible I could put a rookie. Or like a guy after one season. It's no, as high may, as possible. But he may be eight after this year. Or four. Yeah. <laughs> like, he could be so fucking good. I know. And he will be. And he's awesome. And he's one of my favorite players. And he's revolutionary. Uh, revolutionary. Yeah. All right. Mike Trout, best center fielder in the game. He's Mike Trout. Mike Can't Trout. put J-Rod over Mike Trout. 119 games. He hit 40 nukes in 119 games. Who on earth does that? He slugged 630. He was a six-win player in 119 games. So oh. 176 WRC plus. So Trout, like it's it's fun to look at Trout's baseball reference for sure, but I'm gonna pull up his fan graphs as well. Can Mike I say Trout, one thing before yes. you get into Trout stats? Um, you know how everyone says like the narrative around Trout, like he's just injured all the time and like, you can't really rely on him. I understand that. I see what you're saying, but it's one of those narratives that is starting to get way overblown. And you could say, Peter, what about the back thing? And I would say, I was worried about it too. And then he hit 40 home runs in 119 games. So I don't think he's that worried about it. 2014, 2015, 2016. 
157, 159, 159 games. 2017, he plays 114. Not a fully healthy season, but it's not like he's out forever. 114 games of 162 is still okay. Then he plays 140 in, in 2018. Then he plays 134 in 2019. Plays a full healthy season in 2020. Then he plays 36 games in 2021. And now he's this guy who's injured forever. Let's hold the brakes a little bit. He has been injured. That doesn't mean he's just completely injury prone. If I can get 120 games for Mike Trout next year, I'm still confident putting him as the number one guy. It's Mike yeah. Trout. Yeah, He's a 1,000 OPS guy. Like, I mean, he's the biggest guarantee in sports. He's an 1,000 OPS guy for his career. For his career. His career slash line is 303, 415, 587. Yeah. I think it's the greatest. 40 home runs last year. 40. Yeah, I know. So he's he's a 1002 OPS in his career. His career WRC plus, what do you think it is? Like 160? 172. Jesus. Excuse me for that language. But he holy played, moly. So every year since 2012, his rookie year. Uh, well, I guess his rookie year was 2011. He played 40 games. Since 2012, he has played 100 plus games every year but two, 2020 and 2021. I'm going to walk you through. Yeah, I, I'm going to walk you through his war totals okay. since 2012. 10.1, 10.2, 8.3, 9.3, 8.6, 6.4. Awful year in 2017. It looks like <laughs> where he had a 180 WRC plus, get a 6.4 war, 9.5, 8.4, 6.0, where he had a first, 176 and 119 games. First ballot Hall of Famer. One of the best. Well, of all no players. shit, dude. Unanimous. He's Mickey Mantle. Yeah. He's our he's our Mickey Mantle. Yeah. He's he's a top five player of all time, I think. I think he might end up being in that conversation. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, it might have been from the New York Post or the Athletic. Um, maybe you remember. Trout knows the pressure to get to the playoffs to help lure Otani to stay in Los Angeles with the Angels. This Angels team looks good. I know we say this every year, but I'm buying in again. I'm in. It's Trout and Otani. It might be the last year where we really see this together. The rotation looks good. I remember on the podcast with you and Aram, you were talking about Reed Detmers. Like, I believe in him. I believe in Patrick Sandoval. I believe in some of these guys. And, of course, you got Otani at the top and Tyler Anderson now. Like the bullpen looks better. If this is truly, if not now, when? Because if not now, it might never be. So I'm buying into the Angels this year. I do think they're going to be a good team. And maybe they sneak into the playoffs. They need the Rays, the Blue Jays, to really have a rough season to get in the playoffs because I think the Mariners and then, of course, Astros, Guardians, Yankees, I think those are pretty set in stone. But if they can squeak in there somehow, they can do some damage. They have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And they have Mike Trout, one of the greatest players of all time, and Shohei Otani, the most talented baseball player ever. Uh, Angels are going to be five games under 500 at the All-Star break. They are going to trade Otani as a rental and a salary dump Mike Trout to the Yankees for us. Waldo Cabrera, Luis Severino, Clint Frazier, and Luis Serna. <laughs> Miguel Andujar. And Andujar. Yeah. Yes. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I hope. 
you've got you've got your WBC preview going out today. It's live right now. Um, if you're listening to this after 9 a.m., I think it's going live at 9 a.m. That's what Ryan Figelstein just said in the Slack. Um, yep. It's hard for me to look at any team other than Samurai Japan as the one that's going to win it, if yeah. we're being honest. And uh, I have a podcast out as you're listening to this. It's like a 10 to 15-minute episode about the World Baseball Classic, the leans I'm looking at, the plays I'm going to give out. Um, I also gave out all the plays already to my subscribers. Uh, which, of course, there's still a free trial. You don't have to pay anything right now. It's free until March 31st. The link is in the episode description. Oh, shit, I'm going to um, do that. I'm gonna, again, I'm not paying you, but I'm I'm definitely going to be the free subscriber. Yeah, might as well free subscribe right now. See if you like it. If you do like it, you can stay on for the season. If not, no worries again. My prize picks projections are up there. You no, get a text as soon as on, I make a play. Hold on. Screw you if you unsubscribe for the season. That's my, no, I, I understand it. Like, I'm not trying to sell people and be like, yes, you have to pay this. We pride no, ourselves. Hold on. You don't have to sell them. I'm going to sell them. You're Go not ahead. a friend of the just baseball show. If you want subscribe from Peter. <laughs> no, I love you guys. And um, of course I just want to make content for everybody and, and I want to win with everybody. And I think we're going to during the MLB season um, we have over the past two seasons and I ain't planning on stopping now. Live betting is going to be great. That's one of the keys of the subscription is that you get all live bets immediately texted to you. World baseball classics out college baseball picks are still being given out to subscribers. Like there's a lot of good value there. And if you stay on for the season, it's 83 cents a day. And then let's say you buy it for the entire season, it's even less. Um, I think I can provide that value in a day. And that's if you buy a whole month, I think I can provide that value in a good day. So I think it's properly priced. Um, I'm having a ton of fun. We got a ton of subscribers already. It's been awesome. And again, World Baseball Classic Preview is on Not Gambling Advice, the podcast, and I have a full article on JustBaseball.com. Really excited. You and I are going to be down there with Arm covering the whole thing. It's going to be a blast. Um, but again, we have so many other podcasts on the network to check out. Who's Better Baseball uh, with Ryan Finkelstein, the call-up, of course, with Arm, and then Jack Hops on Just Fantasy Baseball Show. They're still hammering out content, and that podcast is doing really well. I highly suggest Fantasy Baseball listeners to go check them out. Um Anything else? I don't think so. Get yourself some merch. Why not? I'm wearing a hat. And if you could rate this podcast five stars on Apple or Spotify, or if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. And with that, thank you. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.